So if you've joined us uh, for the first time this morning or if you've been away, um, we're in the midst of a teaching series um, looking at the key theme of Jesus' message and ministry. Um, And you see that Jesus had a message and a ministry, and that was the message of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is near, and he had a ministry which was about bringing that kingdom of God near. So Jesus proclaimed the message of the kingdom. He also demonstrated the ministry of the kingdom by laying hands on the sick, caring for the poor, and seeking justice for the oppressed, and the list goes on. And so we've been thinking about the implications of the message that Jesus came to bring and the ministry. And as we do that, we're reminded of the words um, Jesus told us in Matthew 6 when responding to the disciples' request in teaching them how to pray. He tells them to pray like this. It should be up there. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you may remember what's been said at the start of the series, that the idea of a kingdom is sometimes hard to define. And somewhere along the line, we've reduced the life-changing message that Jesus brought to a prayer that's just about getting to go to heaven when you die. And we've somehow reduced following Jesus to getting your ticket punched and getting into heaven. And certainly when I became a Christian in the early 90s, the question at every meeting I went to was like, do you know where you're going when you're you're going to die? Are you going to burn? Are you going to turn? If you walked out this building and was hit by a bus, where are you going to go? Constantly ask that question. Uh, You know, till till eventually like, well, I don't want to burn. I don't want to burn. I want to go to heaven. What do I need to do? But, and it's good. It's good to know. But when I discovered for myself the true message of Jesus, I realised that the question should just be so much more than that. Because the problem was Jesus never preached a message that said, come follow me and escape this earth. It wasn't about, get up there when you're dead. But it was like, I'm bringing my kingdom here to this earth. And I want my will to be done here on this earth. And do you want to join me in that? How, how much more exciting. Um, an N.T. Wright theologian says, Jesus' resurrection is the begin- beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonise earth with the life of heaven. That, after all, is what the Lord's Prayer is about. And the other point that we made was that the kingdom is defined as God's effective will. The kingdom is a place wherever God's will is, done. And so the kingdom is not much a realm, but more of a rule and a reign. And Scott McKnight said, the kingdom of God is the society in which God's will is done. And a little further on in Matthew 6, Jesus says we are to be people who seek first his kingdom. But it's sometimes hard to seek first his kingdom if we haven't actually fully understood what his kingdom is. And so our teaching series is all about what would it look like for the kingdom to invade us and to invade our lives so that it invades our city. And to do this, we're looking at the seven signs of the kingdom. And these are, these are themes that are seen through the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And those seven signs are joy, salvation, 
peace, justice, healing, belonging, and God's presence. Why didn't they think of a one-word syllable for that one? Um, And so as we seek God's kingdom, as we seek his rule and reign, as we look for his will to be done in the lives of ourselves and in the lives of our church community and our city, they're the seven things that we should expect to see. So last week, Steve looked at salvation, um, and that was just amazing. And at the end of that, we saw Sharon and Joel get baptised, which was just um, just an enormous sense of celebration just inside at seeing the kingdom come in that way. And the week before that, Anya spoke about joy. You know, and that's, that was really challenging, to, to seek God's joy amidst our suffering and to know that his kingdom is with us. And so today, we're going to be looking at peace. Now, peace is ultimately the freedom from disturbance. It's a tranquil state, calmness, quietness, stillness, harmony. It may even be a country that isn't at war. You know, maybe some of us have turned up today in that state. You're full of peace, you're calm, and that's amazing. But many of us may have turned up here this morning without peace, with worry, with anxiety. Um, in Proverbs 12:25, it says, "Anxiety weighs down the heart." You may be feeling heavy this morning. So, if peace is a sign of the kingdom, we can ask ourselves, "How are we doing?" In fact, one thing that I thought would be fun was just to turn to the person nearest you, behind you, next to you, and quickly tell them, when you worry, not necessarily for worrying right now, what are the things you most worry about? Just one quick word, like a snapshot. You don't have to give full disclosure or start counselling, just a quick... <laughs> what are the things you worry about? Hmm. Mm. That's great. Sounds like we've all got some worries. <laughs> um, you can stop being nice now. <laughs> um, so how many of us are sitting next or near someone that maybe looks like they've have that problem or have that worry? Um, How many of us are sitting next to someone who is the problem? (laughs) Don't tell them. (laughs) Don't tell them. (laughs) Um, Because I can guarantee if it's overt, if it's hidden, there isn't a person in this room that at some point isn't worried about something. And in 1967, US psychiatrists Thomas Holmes and Richard Ray decided to study anxiety and stress and discovered that there were five main areas that anxiety resides. Number one was financial stress. Um, And that was money, whether you've got it, whether you've not, wherever you are on that sliding scale of financial, you know, it was the biggest cause of stress. Uh, The second place was work, the workplace I'm not saying anything (laughs) working here, but it could be quite stressful working for Steve and I. Um, (laughs) um, (laughs) And then um, after after workplace was personal relationships. 
Now, I think maybe that should have even been above workplace, but because we worry. We worry if we've got relationships. We worry if we haven't got relationships and we want them. We worry about our children. If we've not got children and we want children, we worry about it. Um, we worry about you know making those relationships last. Um, and I think that's quite a big one. After relationships uh, was health. And again, this is constantly... Um, something that's in the media. You know, if you're not ill, you might get ill. If you don't do these three things or these five things or if you don't do this and if you use this, you might get cancer and maybe you should do... You know, and it's a constant barrage of how is your health? And then the fifth one was called irritants. So it's things that were all clumped together like um, sleeping well, the season of life you're in, um, traffic could even was an irritant, Maybe even this talk today, because I was thinking, if you're someone that worries, and we're talking about um, a talk on anxiety, you're going to be worrying about if you worry too much, and how are you not going to worry too much? So anxiety weighs down the heart, it affects your mind, and can make you feel all manner of things. And I've just got this slide up here, sorry, over here, that you can't read it until we get our building. So it says some things like... Um, you can't breathe air all around you, but you, can get, you can't get to it. Being so uncomfortable, you wish you could crawl out of your own skin. Everything is happen- it, happening at once. A constant struggle for control, and you will never get it. Pretending you're okay, but really you can't breathe or think straight. And that is the society that we live in. We process things through our anxiety. And not ang- anxiety isn't actually a bad thing. Anxiety is, is our fight-or-flight um, mechanism. It's meant to help us make good decisions when we're up against it. But I feel that we're in a society where we've developed a real knack of basing our everyday sleeping, breathing around anxiety. Anxiety is our tool for living. And, and so if peace is a sign of the kingdom, but we are presenting worry and anxiety... How are we going to release peace to our city? Um, And how do we just relax? So I'm going to be reading today from Psalm 27, um, David's confident prayer to, to God to deliver him in time. So I'm just going to pray. Father, just as we hear your word this morning, we hear your word confidently, not through a heart that is heavy and full of anxiety and precious, Lord Jesus but a heart that you just want to come and take up, Father, and release. Just come and have your way this morning, we pray. Amen. So bear with me whilst I read this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me. Even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. 
and then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God, my saviour. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desires of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusation. And I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. Wait for the Lord. Thank you. And when David wrote Psalm 27, he was in a situation, he didn't have any idea how his situation would turn out. He didn't write the psalm post the event. You know, this was live for him at the time. And how many of us in our, in our times of anxiety and our situations of worry and stress know how it's going to turn out? We don't. But are we sitting and are we, are we steadfast like David? And David, through his psalm, I think there was four different areas of anxiety that spoke to me when I um, read this. Um, in the second verse where he says, the wicked advance against me to devour me. You know, has anyone literally felt like that? Have you had opposition and it has felt that someone is after you and they're gunning for you and they're going to bring you down and it literally feels like you can't escape? You know, that is how David felt in that moment. In verse 3 he said, though an army besiege me, Now, to be besieged, there's no way out. You're backed into a corner. And this is a personal army against him. He doesn't use the word us. He uses the word me. This is a really isolating feeling. Have you ever had that feeling that your problems, they were so intense, they were coming at you from every corner? You know, that could be from any one of those five areas that we, we looked at just a second ago. Verse 10 that my father and mother forsake me. You know, that sounds really painful. How much of the worry and the stress in our life is related to our family? Whether our parents are here or not here. Whether the people that love us and support us, we feel have let us down or turned against us such a challenging and an extensive place to be in a family where those things are happening. Verse 12 where he says, do not turn me over to the desires of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. You know, when I, when, um, I was you know, researching this talk and um, this kept coming up and you know, have you ever been in a conflict or situation that is so intense that one side actually starts to attack your character? You know, and they're not, they're not going to stop and they will spread lies about you. You know, being a church leader can be really interesting. 
It's an interesting job because it's such a privilege. But basically what you're doing is you're signing yourself up to be regularly judged and criticised in the open and public arena. You know, and that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a bit of a weight. Everything I say here this morning, everything I say at someone's dinner table, everything I say on the street, you know, it, it's open to interpretation, it's open to anything like that. And, you know, I had, had this experience where, you know, I needed someone to make a quick decision. Um, and so I said, I just said to them, look, it looks like we need to get on. Here's a couple of thoughts. Let's get on with it. And that person, I didn't know at the time, misinterpreted that as um, I was being really horrible. <laughs> and, um, and so then it all, this, all, this whole thing then just started snowballing. And then all of a sudden I started hearing all these rumours. And it was just like, oh my goodness. I didn't even realise, you know, what had happened and all this stuff about me. You know, because no, you, know, you don't want to hear the story that you're not a nice person, do you? Um, and so I went to this person and I apologised and I said, I'm really sorry. You know, I thought I was um, not being what you said I was being. Um, and by the by, the damage, you know, you think, you worry that people have received what they've said as true and everything feels so unjust and you wanted to, you want to follow people around and put yourself right, you know. But, and David wrote this stuff thousands of years ago. But he didn't say in the psalm, well, what you need to do is you need to go and write yourself. You need to do this against your family. You need to stand up and say this. You need to... He didn't give us a list of things that we need to go back and do to seek retribution. And that's hard. When you've got stuff against you like that, it is hard to live in peace. So how do we... (laughs) Have a life with God, seeking the kingdom and seeking peace. What was David's answer? What did David show us in this text? That the antithesis to anxiety and stress is peace. In verse 1 he said, the Lord is my light, my salvation. And he said, who shall I fear? In verse 2, the wicked advance against me to devour me. But he said, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. He was confident of that. He didn't say they might. Though an army besiege me, he said, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. How? Why? And I think it's here when we get to number four, where it's what we call the money text. (laughs) And it says this, and this is a fantastic trade-off if you're living in anxiety. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. You know, David says there, one thing I ask from the Lord, but then actually gives us three things. Dwell in the house, gaze on his beauty, seek him in the temple. To dwell, to gaze, to seek these three things actually lead to that one thing. Now, to dwell is to reside, to set up camp somewhere. And for David, um, the temple would have been where God's presence was. You know, this is different for us. Coming from a new perspective, we believe that um, we dwell in the house of the Lord. He is within us. Um, 
so much easier for us to access God. Um, Because Jesus removed needing to go to that physical place. But David is showing that in the midst of his pain, in that wilderness, he needed to be dwelling in the house of the Lord. You know, and he needed to go to that physical place. We have that physical place. You know, we need to access that space where we are just dwelling in God's presence. The second practice that David gave us was to gaze. And what's it mean to gaze, to stare longingly at, lovingly towards? Have you got that one thing that you're constantly looking at or longing for um, when Rachel was born it just it just reminded me when Rachel was born we waited so long for her to come obviously it was nine months but I mean the, the time before the, before the nine months um, when we were praying that we would have a child um, and we, we'd be, you know she was poorly when um, she was born so we was in hospital for a week and it was all lovely and relaxing and then we came home and then just find myself sitting there and Steve would sit there and we'd just stare at her sleeping when she did sleep that she was breathing you know because when she wasn't when she was crying you could tell she was breathing but when she was quiet it was like is she breathing and we'd wake up at night and just check her in her little bassinet that she was still breathing and for me this became um a real point of anxiety I was I lost more sleep through my anxiety of, is she breathing, than I did of her being awake in the night. And God really had to to break through here for me because I needed to realise that he was in control. Um, And see, the problem with the thing that that we gaze on, the special someone, the need for a special someone, a bigger career, more money, the baby, we realise that actually none of those things are dependable. And there's a connection between the things we gaze on and our anxieties. We worry that we're never going to get those things. We worry that we're never going to progress. There's no dependability and we can even begin to think that it's God that isn't the dependable one. But if we dwell in God's presence and we gaze on the beauty of him in his word we get a new perspective. We see that no amount of worry is going to give us control over the situation. We can't shift that. We need to realise that God is in control. Gaze on the one that is in control. And then thirdly, we seek him. In his temple, we need to seek him. We need to seek good counsel, good word. We need to seek good advice It's an active participation. It's something we need to go and do. We need to seek his kingdom. You know, just recently, actually, um, I had um, this problem going around in my mind and I was driving myself crazy with it, to be honest, but I felt too stupid to talk about it. And I was in a staff prayer meeting um, one morning and... um, I'm just really suffering with pain in my throat. And um, so the guys decided to pray for me. They're not guys, they're all women. There, <laughs> don't know why I said that. And, um, you know, someone had a picture, you know, just saying, like, there was a hand around my throat and you needed to 
you know, have a conversation and, you know, the enemy was trying to stop you. And I did. I was like, you know, I took that on board and I went and had that conversation and I got really good counsel and some really good advice for what was going on in my mind and instantly was at peace. The pain had gone, I was healed. So the anxiety from not seeking God and seeking good counsel and good advice even gave me physical ill health. So my hope is that we want to see you know, our lives come into fruition for ourselves and for our city. So we need to dwell and to seek and to gaze. Because essentially, our worry and our anxiety is rooted in lack of trust. We lack trust and we worry because we don't believe that God is going to come. You know, at the end of um, the verse, just going to be there, you know, it says, Wait, wait on the Lord. I don't know. It says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. You know, Oliver Huckle once wrote that persistent worry is a subtle form of atheism. I was like a bit offended by that when I read it. He said, persistent worry is a subtle form of atheism. And I was like, ouch. Because I do worry. (laughs) You know, and... If worry and anxiety is big in our society, do we want to invite people into a kingdom where they can experience that some more? Or do we want to invite them to experience the fullness of the kingdom? Maybe you need to find a new rhythm of dwelling in him, a new space, a new place. Maybe you need to dwell in his beauty, to refix your gaze on him, the one that is in control, the one who is dependable. And maybe you need to just start by seeking him, seeking wise counsel, seeking wise words. We need to dwell, to gaze and to seek because the outcome of those things are going to bring you peace. And so we're going to take communion this morning, but I'm just going to ask something of you first. I'd just like you all to just um, focus, maybe just close your eyes and relax, don't worry. Just breathe and I'm just going to focus on the first part of that psalm. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? As you gaze on him in his verse, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? What causes you to see that and to praise him? Just silently reflect those words right now that will cause you to praise him as you hear that. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We love you, Lord. Now, in light of the truth of that verse, 
What do you need to confess? What do you need forgiveness for? What do you need to bring and place at the foot of Jesus? The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? Let the Spirit just speak to you right now. Just let him come. Holy Father, we confess to you, Father. And knowing the truth of this verse, what do you need to ask God for? The Lord is the light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? What do you need to ask God for? Come, Holy Spirit. Father God, we invite you. And as we take communion, communion to us is a symbol, it's an expression that we're accepting the invitation of the kingdom. Jesus' body broken for us. Jesus' blood poured out for us. And I'd like to invite you to participate in that this morning, having laid down at his feet. And if you'd like to say yes this morning to dwelling, to dwelling in him, then I'm going to ask you to come and receive communion. There's going to be two stations at the front that is uh, alcohol in the glasses and there's two stations at the back corners of the room that don't have alcohol. And so what we'd like you to do is just take a piece of bread and to dip it in the wine. The Father, I just pray this morning that you have opened our hearts, Lord Jesus. That Father, you lovingly remind us that the place for us to be is to, to dwelling in you gazing upon you and to seeking you. That Father, you're a God that is that is in control amidst the chaos of our life, Lord Jesus. Let us find you. Jesus. As, as we uh, receive these uh, elements this morning, the, the bread and the wine, we, we're, we're kind of confessing something about the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And, um, and so we do that with a sincere heart, don't we? We do that with sincere hearts. And so if you're here this morning and you think, I've, I've, never, I've never fully surrendered to that, I've never fully grasped that, maybe this morning as you make that choice to partake, uh, in, in communion. That's your way of saying, okay, I'm, I'm surrendering now to the reality of what Jesus has done, that he 
that he, he did live a, a life centered around his kingdom. He, he did come and he was, um, his body was bruised and broken to the point of death. But that he did rise again uh, to give us access to the Father. And so if that's you, you're really welcome to come and partake too. And maybe that is your way of saying, I'm in. This is, this is for me. If you do that, do let us know. We would love to know if that's a decision that you make this morning. But as Tammy said, as you feel led, feel free to come and receive the elements this morning. Just take some of the bread and dip it in the cup and receive those this morning. Non-alcohol at the back, alcohol at the front.